Welcome back, everybody. Let's find our places. When you get back to your seat, go ahead and take your Bibles. You can open them to the book of Numbers, the fourth book in your Bible. We're going to be in chapter number nine. Numbers chapter number nine today. The series that we are in, we are calling Prime Numbers, and the idea is just that we're taking selected stories from the book of Numbers. The, the book of Numbers is primarily the story of Israel going through the wilderness. You know that story, 40 years in the wilderness, leaving Egypt and on their way to Canaan, the promised land. Now, I want to start this morning with 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12, and maybe that'll pop up on the screen, I don't know. There's a lot of verses there, and if they don't, you can just remember it, but uh, maybe it won't pop up on the screen. All right, so 1 Corinthians 10, we covered the very first week in review, and the very beginning of that chapter talks about how the situations and the details of the circumstances of Israel going through the wilderness are examples for our lives, and that we are not to repeat the mistakes that they made. We're not to lust after the things they lusted after. We're not to, to make the mistakes, the things that they made mistakes on, proving to us that the study of the children of Israel in the wilderness is very applicable for our lives today. And that's the key I want you to understand as we go through these Old Testament historical studies that there is a direct application for our lives today. And so coming out of those first 12 verses of 1 Corinthians 10, we do roll into verse number 13. Hopefully we'll have that one. Good, awesome. So verse 13, the very next one, because as you think about these things, you think, okay, Israel blew it. God warns you, you probably will too, but don't, okay? How then, how? Well, verse 13 is the verse you want to know. It's the verse you really ought to be well aware of. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And here's the phrase, but God is faithful. God is faithful. He'll not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but with the temptation make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Don't, Let's not this morning focus on how hard the temptation is and I can't bear it and God says you can bear it. We've covered that before. Let's just think about something in conjunction with the idea. Setting the stage for the Israelite wilderness wanderings, God follows it up in verse 13 and says, remember this, God is faithful. God is faithful. And you know what? Even so much so that even when we're not, right, even when they weren't, God is faithful. In 2 Timothy 2.13, I love this, where it says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He can't deny himself. And if he's in you as a result of the new birth, if you know him as Savior and Lord, he can't possibly deny himself his spirit that's in you. And so even when you're weak, even when you're not faithful, even when you're not walking as you should be walking, Remember the story of Israel is like the pilgrim's progress of the Bible. They come out of Exodus in chapter number 12, and it's the, the blood of the lamb that's applied to the doorposts, and that's salvation through the blood of the lamb, just like our salvation in Jesus Christ. And they begin to escape Pharaoh and the armies, and they make it to the Red Sea, and 1 Corinthians 10 talks about how they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then they enter into the wilderness, and and you, you need to remember that God led them into that wilderness, right? And the thing that I want to keep reminding you as we go through these stories, because they're going to be very practically applicable, is this, and this is in your notes. 
Israel's journey through the wilderness represents our journey of spiritual growth. When you read the book of Numbers, when you read about the things they go through, when you read about how God responds to them and the things that they go through, consider yourself, consider your life, consider how God is trying to grow you through the trials in your life. And sometimes, like in the case of Israel, it takes longer than it needs to take. God wants us to learn to trust him in every circumstance. He wants to have us learn to trust him in the midst of the trials and the difficulties that we face. And the wilderness had plenty of challenges and trials and temptations. But God led them into the wilderness so that they would learn to trust them. The wilderness represents problems, discomfort, and they're just tests. They're tests to see whether or not we'll persevere or whether we'll hang it up and blame anybody else but ourselves. The thing I want us to understand today, and this is the title of today's message, God's daily guidance in the wilderness. Daily, he guides us through our wilderness. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's faithful. And today we're going to be looking at the introduction of this thing where we have a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that rest upon the tabernacle and lead Israel through all their days in the wilderness. Again, God led them into that wilderness just as God has led you into yours. So when times are tough in your life, what are you going to do? Whom do you blame? How did you get in that mess anyway? Well, if you've been saved any length of time and, you know, you read the internet and you see things, you're undoubtedly, I would guess, most all of you are familiar with a very famous poem called Footprints in the Sand. Remember that one? And the story, if you're not familiar with it, let me just summarize real quickly in this poem, is there's a guy who dreams a dream and his life is seen in light of these two sets of footprints walking in the sand on the beach side by side. And the idea is, is one set of footprints is his and one set of footprints are God's. And he noticed that any time there was trouble in his life, there weren't two sets of footprints, but there were only one set of footprints. And so he turns to the Lord and he asks, why is that, Lord? Why is it when I was going through the trials and the troubles in my life, where were you? And God answers, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. You see, that second set of footprints that aren't there aren't the Lord leaving you. It's the Lord carrying you. Why? Because God's faithful. So let's not jump to conclusions about blaming God for our troubles. The thing that we're going to see today, I pray and my intention is that for it to be incredibly encouraging for us this morning. Today's lesson illustrates the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. That's what it is. So if you'll follow along, we're going to read the second half of Numbers chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 15 and we'll go down to the end of the chapter. Go ahead and follow along. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony, and at even there was upon the tabernacle as it were the appearance of fire until the morning. 
So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle, many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was, when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was, when the cloud abode from even unto the morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Or whether it were two days, or a month, or a year, that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents, and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord they rested in the tents, and at the commandment of the Lord they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now that may sound somewhat redundant. We kind of covered the same territory in those verses a few times over and over again. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord's trying to remind us of something that we should not soon forget. So with that in mind, let's just ask him to do that in the next several minutes that we're going to study together before we jump into our outline. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and ask that you would show us, through the story of Israel, your daily guidance for us today. The truth of the matter is we get discouraged from time to time. We get weary in well-doing, and we shouldn't, but we do. So remind us of things we already know for many of us and show us things that we need to be reminded of or shown for the first time and help us to realize that like the pillar of cloud and like the pillar of fire, you are faithfully and constantly ever with us every step of the way. And I pray specifically for those who are here and particularly going through some difficulties, some trials, some temptations, some challenges in their life, that this message today would speak to their hearts, that you would give them the exact word that they need so that they can know how to respond and rest in you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we're going to look at, I'm calling the enduring presence of God. The enduring presence of God. What we see is, is that the presence of the Lord was in the cloud and the fire. Again, remember God led them into the wilderness. To lead somebody means you go first. What God didn't do is he didn't just shove them out into the wilderness and say, well, good luck to you. We'll catch you on the other side. No, the Lord led them, but the Lord was with them every step of the way. In fact, you'll find this interesting. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 19, we have a couple of terms that are synonymous. It says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So was it the pillar of the cloud or was it the angel of God? The answer is yes. It was the angel of God in the pillar of the cloud. So, what you need to understand is that the angel of God is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, my friends, is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Comparing Scripture with Scripture, the Apostle Paul gives us in Acts 27, 23, talking about this, talking about this angel of God. He calls the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. We don't serve generic angels. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4 and verse 14, Paul says that they received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You see that? Because the angel of God literally represents the very manifestation and presence of God. God was present in the cloud. God was present in the fire. That shouldn't surprise us. Jesus always shows up in clouds. You ever notice that? Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9, And when he, had thus, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That's at the ascension, after his resurrection and 40 days on the earth. Well, what about the rapture of the church? 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The rapture of the church, very interesting, it's in the clouds. The second coming, Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus is always in the clouds. Sometimes we look at the clouds and we just think it's a time when you can't see very well. The Lord's there. The Lord's there. You look at our text in Numbers chapter 9, and in verse 15, we find that the cloud and their fire, they, they find their home over the tabernacle. Over the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is that place where God met with man. And he would come down specifically, and he would meet with the high priest and the holy of holies, right, over the Ark of the Covenant. So the tabernacle was the place that represented the place where God was going to meet with man. And since the tabernacle is just a portable temple, and since our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? See? Then, when we go back to the Old Testament tabernacle, we can understand that that courtyard represents literally and pictures our bodies. The holy place represents our soul and the holy of holies. That's our spirit. That's where God dwells. That's where God came down and communed. It's our spirit. It's our spirit that has to be born again because every man, woman, boy, and girl that's born into this world is a body and a soul, but a dead spirit we were dead in trespasses and sins he's made us alive he's quickened us we were born again of the spirit into the family of god and so it is in our spirit in the holy of holies that is the place where god communes right so that means what you many of you already know god's spirit abides in our spirit that's where he lives that's where he communes with you god's spirit abides in your spirit not in your soul and not in your body, right? You're renewed, you're born again in the spirit. Your body hasn't gotten the new body yet. We still have to wait on that, right? And it says in verse number 16, and so it was always, so it was always. The cloud never left the tabernacle by day, nor did the fire leave the tabernacle by night. 
that means that God would never leave his children alone in the wilderness. He was always there. He was always an ever-present witness. You go to Nehemiah after they were taken in captivity and they go back and they're going to rebuild the city and they're going to rebuild the temple. And they're recounting the story of Israel in the wilderness. And it says in Nehemiah 9.19, Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. So similarly, God's Spirit will never leave us. God's Spirit dwells in us, and God's Spirit will never leave us. That means, friends, that you are eternally secure. That means that if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing in this world or outside of this world or any circumstance you can even imagine that has enough power to be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are safe and you are secure in Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. And people who think they call themselves saved, and if they are or not, that's their business and the Lord's business. They think that you can lose your salvation if you just walk away. I'm sorry, you can't. If you're saved and you don't want to be, I'm sorry, you have to go to heaven. <laughs> that's just the way it works. I'm sorry. Now, if, you, you know, if you're saved and don't want to be, well, I mean, there's something else wrong, of course. But my goodness, I mean... A birth is a one-way process. You are eternally secure. He will never, ever, ever leave you. And we see that all through the New Testament for your reminding. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he saith, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's a blessed promise. And it is the promises of God that strengthen our faith. We'll see in a minute, the problem with Israel was they were in unbelief, Right? But it's the promises of God that stimulate our faith. It's not the law. It's not judgment that says, ooh, I want to believe God more. No, it's God's promises that make you want to believe God more. Psalm 139, verse number 5. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Oh, wait a minute. Behind and before, like we just read about the cloud in the, with Israel in the, in the wilderness? Is that what you're talking about? Because the Lord is in that cloud, right? Go down to verse number 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy, shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Amen, Where can you possibly go Nowhere. to run and hide from God? Where can you possibly go that he can't go with you? Nowhere, there is no such place. And if you ever find yourself in one of these places feeling like you're in hell, feeling like you're out stranded to sea somewhere, feeling like you're in great darkness... Well, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. He lives in you, Christian, and he'll always, always be with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, this is a very practical, simple understanding of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. 
In fact, it goes even farther than that, and this should nail it for you if you've never understood this before. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, were sealed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Which spirit of promise is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory? Don't just read through those words really fast. Understand what He means. You are sealed. You are completed. You are done. The deal has been sealed. You have received Him as your Savior. He lives in you. You couldn't lose it if you wanted to. And as proof of it, God is a righteous, fair, and just, if I can use the term, businessman. He makes an earnest payment. A non-refundable down payment. He gives you His Holy Spirit to live in you and to lead you and to guide you like the cloud and the fire did it in the wilderness. And He gives you of His Spirit as the earnest, the down payment that cannot be refunded under any circumstance of sin or, or rejecting your faithfulness. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, until our salvation is fully complete at a time when we're raptured out and we get glorified bodies and it's all done. But that hasn't happened yet, so until that time, we've got the earnest. We've got the down payment. Friend, if you could possibly not go to heaven when you die after you've been saved, the Holy Spirit would have to go to hell with you because he's the earnest. That's a non-refundable down payment. That's what it is. It's the engagement ring. That's what it is. And that's what he gave to you. The enduring presence of God. He abides in us. And he does it for a couple of purposes. The first one, letter A, to direct. To direct. Now, we read this over and over again as we read through those verses, starting in verse 17. But the children of Israel traveled based on the location of the cloud or the location of the fire. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And we read that over and over again, right? If the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. If the cloud stayed, well, they stayed. So to understand this the best way, historically, going back in the Scriptures and doing a little Bible study, we take the law of first mention and we look for the very first time God ever introduced the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And it occurs right after Exodus chapter 12. Remember, Exodus chapter 12 is salvation by the blood of the Lamb. And then they set out. Pharaoh says, get out, take your people, go, finally go, sacrifice in the wilderness, get out of here, I don't care, go. He's mourning, his child was killed, everybody's firstborn was killed, but the Israelites. They take off. Exodus chapter 12 into Exodus chapter 13 and verses 21 and 22, the first mention of the cloud and the pillar of fire and cloud. And it says in Exodus 13, 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them in the way, in the night, in the pillar of fire, to give them light, to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from the people. So, they leads them out of Egypt. They're actually still in Egypt. They haven't yet crossed the Red Sea, but they're fleeing, right? 
And it says this pillar of cloud shows up to lead them that way. How did they know which way to go? Well, they were following the leadership of the Lord. They were following the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, leading them out in the wilderness, out in the desert, and they're heading to, and they're running from Pharaoh, and they're getting out of town, right? So when they weren't sure where to go, they just followed the cloud. When we don't know our directions, we have an inferior system. You know, we say, hey Siri, you know, where should I go, and how should I get there, and well, Siri probably will tell you the best way most of the time, but I mean, Israel by far had a much better cloud-based directional system, right? Told them exactly where they needed to be. So like Israel, what we see is God's Spirit shows up after our redemption. Our redemption was Exodus 12. To lead us, that's what it says in Exodus 13, 21, with the Word of God. Because He led them Oh yeah, and he gave them light. He gave them light. And that's what we have an application for our lives. God's Holy Spirit doesn't live in everybody. He only lives in, those, lives in those who have been redeemed. If you haven't repented of your sins and asked Christ to come into your life personally, ask him to personally pay for your sins and receive his free gift, well then his spirit doesn't live in you. But if you have, he does. And if you haven't and you want to, you can do it today. I mean, that's the good news, right? John 16, 13, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. This is God's Spirit showing up after our redemption to lead us with the Word of God. And we know that that's the case because He's going to guide us into all truth. And John 17, 17 says, Thy Word is truth. Right? And Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know these things, right? So here we have God's cloud representing God's spirit and God's fire representing his spirit, his very presence. And what is he there to do? He's there to direct them. He's there to give them light. He's there to tell them where to go and how to get there. That's what he does. And the way that it works for us is that the very author of Scripture the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and teaches you this book. You can't learn it any other way. You say, well, I learned something reading a commentary. Okay, praise the Lord. But if you really got it, the Holy Spirit used that. Uh, you say, I learned by listening to people at church teach me things. Well, I hope that's true. But if it's true, it's only because the Holy Spirit used people, highly flawed people, I might add, so that you might get something. If you got anything... In your whole life, that's truth. You got it from the Holy Spirit. That's where you got it. Praise the Lord. That's how he works. And what he does by teaching us his word, principle upon principle, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We call that biblical discipleship around here, by the way. He teaches us his word. And the Word is a lamp unto our feet, and the Word is a light unto our path. And if you're not in the Word, you're wandering around in darkness, friends. If you're not studying the Bible for yourself, if you're not learning how to study the Bible for yourself, we can teach you, by the way. Use that connection card. Sign up. We'll have somebody contact you. We'll help you. But a lot of you know the rules. A lot of you have been through the classes. A lot of you know more than, well, you're putting to practice. 
And God's word is the lamp, and God's word is the light, and God wants to grow you up because the wilderness is a time when you grow. It's the time of spiritual growth, and how are you going to grow without the word? It's impossible. So he's there to direct us, but he's also there to protect us, and that's letter B, to protect us. Now go back to the historical introduction of this whole situation. They're leaving Egypt, and their firstborn are safe, and Pharaoh sends them out, and then God's leading them by the cloud, and Pharaoh kind of comes to himself, and he's like, man, what did I just do? I just sent away all the slaves. I sent away my entire labor force. I got to go back and get those guys back. And they mount the horses and the chariots, and they take off, and they start riding. Picture Charlton Heston in the movie. They take off riding after them, and they're gaining on them. And the people fear. And they do what God's people always do. They turn to their leader and they complain. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing, Moses? Did you bring us out here in this wilderness to die? Not trusting the Lord. But Moses knew better. So he answers in Exodus 14, 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, they were gaining on them, they could see them now, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And then going back down to verse 19, which we saw previously, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them, verse 20, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. See, the Israelites, they had mama and the babies and, you know, the the horses or whatever they had, and they're probably not moving that fast, and the army, they're running after them, and they're catching them. And the Lord's like, I got this. Just hang on, I got this. And the cloud just steps back and becomes a wall of protection. That's what it becomes. And the Israelites, they, they're safe. It's a wall of protection. God held the Egyptians back until Israel could cross the Red Sea safely first. God's fire was judgment for the enemy, but it was protection towards his children. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse number 5 says this, For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. See, God sets this wall of fire all around to protect you. And in the middle of it all, it's his glory. It's his glory. Psalm 68, 34, Ascribe ye strength unto God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. I want you to notice that God is careful to tell us that it's not just a big fat cloud. It's a pillar of cloud. It's a pillar of fire. Hmm. I thought about that. A pillar is kind of like a tower. And a tower 
is for protection. That's what it's for. Psalm 61, 3 and 4. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle. There it is, forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it. And it's safe. It's safe. So in our lives today, friends, the Holy Spirit also has another name in the Bible. He's called the Comforter. And He's called the Comforter because He protects you. But not only that, He prays for you. He prays for you. John 14, 26, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. See, that's what Jesus called him because he brings comfort. And comfort comes when you feel safe. Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now let's not just gloss over that phrase. So you read farther in Romans 8, and you find not only God the Spirit prays for you, God the Son also prays for you. So you got two-thirds of the Trinity praying to the other third on your behalf, so that's a good thing. But the way that Jesus and the way the Holy Spirit pray for you is not maybe the way you pray for you. <laughs> Sometimes we pray for ourselves. God, get me out of this trouble. I have discomfort. I want comfort. <laughs> and the Lord says, I want to be your comfort, not the circumstances. I want you to find comfort in me even though the circumstances are uncomfortable. And friend, you'll never, ever Learn that lesson if you're never, ever uncomfortable. You'll never learn that lesson if God doesn't lead you to times and situations in the wilderness. You grow in the wilderness. You have to learn to trust the Lord through your trials. That's what this book is all about. Because being protected and being cared for, that brings comfort. It brings comfort, and you won't know it until you need to know it. And you need to know it when times are tough. I got to thinking about this. That cloud never left. And you know the story. They were in the wilderness 40 years. You would think, enjoying the presence of the Lord closely every day, no matter what, that they'd have got it. They'd have grown up. They'd have made it. They'd have done well, but... They kept blowing it. They kept sinning. They kept turning their hearts. They kept not believing. And I thought to myself, now if I was in the wilderness, and I don't think I'm better than any of them, but there's this pillar of cloud with us. And he's proven himself from the time he toasted Pharaoh. And by the way, the most memorable miracle in all the Bible is the Red Sea miracle. And, and the very presence of God that got us out of Egypt, the very presence of God that got us through the Red Sea, that very, and in their case, physically visible presence was there every single day. And yet 40 years. How does that happen? Unless 
maybe. They grew accustomed to it. Well, that cloud's just, that's just the thing that's always here. And somehow it loses its wonder for you. How long have you been saved, Christian? How many years ago was it when God took your feet out of the miry clay and put them on that solid rock? You remember how your life used to be before? Can you remember? I've been saved over 35 years now, and I'm so thankful that it's been that many years now. Let me tell you what I don't forget. I don't forget where I came from. I don't forget the foolishness that I mounted up to my charge. I don't forget my sins that nailed him to the cross. I don't forget where I come from. I was a real idiot. <laughs> Some might think I still am, but it was worse, trust me. <laughs> it was worse. The Lord saved me. The Lord has changed me. And, and sometimes I think we just grow too accustomed. I mean, I'm a Christian. I do Christian-y things with Christian-y people. I go to Christian places and I eat food at Christian restaurants, whatever that is. And, <laughs> I, and it, you know, it's just kind of what we do and it becomes a part of our new little traditional culture and somehow we just sort of forget that same power that saved your soul is available to you today in whatever it is you're going through. I think they just forgot. And I think that as a result, they lost sight of what they were supposed to be doing. And the Lord said, well, let's just take another lap around the desert. You're not quite ready yet. So if you're not, you find yourself not progressing as quickly as maybe you should, as Israel didn't, well, that kind of leads us to our next point. And that is what I'm calling the effective pace of God. You see, God's the one who will direct our, our journey, but he's also going to direct the pace, the speed at which we accomplish it, not just the location or the direction. He's in charge of how quickly you get there. Now, as I was reading, and things might have sounded a little repetitive to you, one of the phrases that popped up, oh, let me see, seven times in this passage, at the commandment of the Lord, 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 they journeyed or they stopped. They journeyed or they stopped. They journeyed or they stopped. At the commandment of the Lord. Now, some of you are familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 2, where the Bible gives you a geographic distance and it tells you that from Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai it was 11 days journey to get to Kadesh Barnea. And Kadesh Barnea is the place that we'll see in a couple of weeks where the spies cross over into Canaan and spy out the land. So a minimum distance of one man traveling could have made it from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea in 11 days. And some people have, in my opinion wrongly concluded that God intended them for, to, for them to get through the wilderness in 11 days, and I would say no way. In fact, it's impossible. It's impossible. And it's impossible for several reasons. One, God never intended for them to enter the promised land from the south, heading north at Kadesh. He intended them to be on the east side of Jordan and head in, heading west all along. But not even with that. When we see in this passage of Scripture 
the Spirit of the Lord journeyed for a while and then stopped. And he stopped over and over again. And sometimes it was for a few days. And sometimes in this passage it says for a year. There's no way they could have made it in 11 days. God, not, with, not with God leading them. Because God wanted them to stop every once in a while. Can I say that again? God stopped them every once and a while. But Lord, we've got to get... Just, just relax. We're just going to camp here a bit. We're going to camp here a bit and see what we can learn. Because God's ever-present, and God's directing you, and He's protecting you. But the speed at which He travels is not always the speed that you want, is it? That may not make sense to you, but that's okay. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are still in the Bible. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How much higher are the heavens than the earth? Can you measure it? You can't measure it. It's not like how far is it from the earth to the moon. You can measure that. Where, where is the limit of the heavens? There's no limit. That's how limitless his thoughts are higher than yours. You don't, you don't need to figure it out. That's not the issue. You see, the goal of your growth, it's not that you're getting somewhere quickly. The goal is obedience. It's always just obedience. God says, go, you better get up and go. God says, stay, you better stay. It's just that simple. So, I thought it was important enough to put in your notes. <laughs> Don't stop when God's moving. That's the first thing we need to learn. You can guess what the next one will be. Generally speaking, generally speaking, throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit of God is always moving in some direction. We see that from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's what he does, okay? In this case, with Israel and the promised land, that was the direction they were going. They were going toward the promised land. They were going toward, in our application, spiritual maturity, being all grown up. And sometimes we hinder our progress and our path and our pace of spiritual growth and maturity because of our own unbelief, right? And that's what we see when we read, for example, Hebrews chapter 3, where it refers back in verse 8, it says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Hey, Hebrews in this century, don't do what the Hebrews in that century did, hardening their hearts when they were in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. And you could jump down to verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Well, because of unbelief. And really the main event that's referring to is the unbelief of the report of the spies coming out of Canaan in Numbers 13. But yet, just think of it this way. They couldn't complete their journey because they just refused to believe the Lord. That's one way it's probably the most commonly understood way 
that we see people not moving when God's moving. God says, let's move, and the people say, I shall not be moved. But sometimes, true growth and progress only occur when you sit still for a while. Sometimes you're never really going to learn and you're never really going to respond unless you just sit still and you let God just camp with you in the wilderness. But that's not the only way that people can misstep stopping when God is moving. The next one is don't move when God has stopped. This is another problem. Remember, God is the one to lead or initiate the movement. And the danger is people get out in front of God. You know that happens. People get out in front of God. They so desperately want God to take them and move them and use them and do greater things that they're dreaming of, holy things, good things. And God says, we're just camping. We're just camping. I think the fear or the thing you need to tune into is they want to go do what they want to do. And they want God to join them. And God says, it just doesn't quite work that way, son. I'll do the leading. And, well, if you're smart, you'll do the following. (laughs) You'll do the obeying. You know, this is a particular problem for young people. It's a particular problem for young young men in the Lord. Um, if you remember back a week or two ago, we talked about that phase of life generally is characterized by high energy, low wisdom. A lot of energy, run, 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 fight, fight, fight. Not always really, you know, understanding what they're getting themselves into. That's the group that stereotypically, anyway, will run out in front of God. And man, you run out in front, and all of a sudden you realize, oh man... How did I get here, Lord? I was just serving you. Oh, well, you kind of took the matter into your own hands, didn't you? You kind of went out on your own. I never really sent you there. Okay, so they don't have any patience. They don't know how to wait on the Lord. So the Lord has to teach them. Remember, we're growing up, right? The Lord has to teach them. Do you know how God teaches you patience? (laughs) You know. You don't like it? I don't like it. But you've got to learn it. James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why would I count it all joy to fall into diverse temptations? Why? Because knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting, insert the word, lacking, Nothing. Romans speaks of this in Romans 5, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing, only because we know, that tribulation worketh patience. You're impatient because you don't let yourself sit in tribulation. You don't let yourself sit in a trial. You run from those things. You run and you hide. And that's not what God intended. Tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 
You need to learn to wait on the Lord. When we read through this passage, we see that sometimes they stopped for a very short time. For example, in verse 20, it says, a few days, a few days. So, for example, they're sometimes, like in Psalm 37 and verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So when God parked the cloud for a short time, he's like, yeah, just chill out, just relax. Y'all been, been walking, it's been hot, just rest a little bit. Just go in the tents, relax, sleep it off. We'll move in a day or two. So sometimes the stop is brief because you need some rest. You need some rest. And we talked about that last week. But sometimes they stayed longer. Sometimes they stayed longer. Verse 22 says, sometimes it was a month, sometimes it was a year. What do you do then? Well, Psalm 37, 34, for example, says, wait on the Lord and, oh, keep his way. Go back to Numbers, chapter 9, verse 19. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel had to do something. Keep the charge of the Lord. Keep the charge of the Lord. They were to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. That's what they were supposed to do. They were to keep the charge. There's a lot of New Testament charges that I could have listed for you, and I only grabbed a couple of them. You read the two little epistles of Timothy, and you'll find about ten of them. Okay? But I grabbed these two, 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 15. Of these things, put them in remembrance. Here we go, charging them before the Lord that they strive not. Don't argue about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Here we go. You ready? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Learn to hear God's word through Bible study. Oh yeah, that's the light, remember, that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I charge thee, there you go, therefore before God the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Listen, keep the charge of the Lord. Serve the Lord. Study His Word. Hear His voice. Tell others. If the Lord is parking for a while, if you're not moving down the path like you think, for a short time, you get a rest. Everybody needs a rest. But get to work. Let's get busy. Otherwise, you won't be learning the lessons God needs you to learn while the cloud has stopped. And he'll just take you another lap around the wilderness. And a lot of those people died in the wilderness. And they never made it out. God's Spirit works in your life to walk and to wait with God. He wants you to move and he wants you to stay put. At the commandment of the Lord. Now, it's interesting because it says in verse 23, at the commandment of the Lord, by the mouth of Moses. No, it doesn't say that. It says by the hand of Moses. The hand of Moses. That means Moses wrote something down. That means they had something to read. That's Scripture. You know how you're going to get the commandment of the Lord? It's through the Scripture. That's how you're going to get it. And that's why you need to study. That's why you need to do those things. Listen, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to walk with him. 
step by step, day by day, from faith to faith, it says. And when he stops, we stop. When he moves, we move. Every bit of it directed by the written word of God. That's how it's directed, and that's how it works. So the wilderness has its challenges. The wilderness offers trials. The wilderness offers temptations. But friends, you're not alone. You are not in it alone. God is there with you. He loves you. That cloud never forsook them, never departed from them. All the while, even while they were in unbelief, even while they were blowing it, all the while, every single day, you know what God did? He still provided all their needs. God didn't say, well, you know, you didn't trust me yesterday. No manna for you tomorrow. <laughs> he didn't do that. That manna came down faithfully six days a week, every week. God provided their food. God provided their shelter. He's going to meet your needs, isn't he? Food and shelter. He provided their shelter. Yeah, they had tents and they did their thing. But you know what? Have you ever thought about this? They were in the desert, the Arabian desert. And all day long, you know what the temperatures can be like in the Arabian desert? I don't either, but it's hot. I'm too white. I don't want to be there. God said, I'm going to make my presence available to you in a cloud. You know what they had? They had climate control. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been in a desert at nighttime? It's cold. God's presence was a fire. He provided food. He provided shelter. And he provided clothing. Do you realize that they wandered in that desert for 40 years and it says their clothes and their shoes never wore out the whole time? I'm going to close with that passage. It's a good one. And it's a good reminder for us as we wrap up today. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Listen, be encouraged today, y'all. You're not alone in whatever it is you're going through. God is there with you. The question is, and this is the challenge for you as we wrap this up, are you really walking with him? Are you? Are you listening and hearing his voice? Are you moving when he is moving? Are you staying when he is staying? Are you making progress in your growth, serving and studying and sharing God's word with others? Certainly there's something 
that God is trying to communicate to you. So for that, let's ask him to help us make that decision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we contemplate these truths in our life, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your voice will be clear to each and every brother and sister here. That each and every one would know exactly what their challenge is and what you're asking them to do. Some people have totally neglected their responsibilities. And they've just been sitting by, comfortable, watching a select few others carry the load and do the work. And they need to get busy. They need to get busy. Others have been working so hard and they maybe need a break. Others have ideas and dreams and hopes for a future and they, they're running to get there, but you've parked for a while and they need to learn patience. And some people, Lord, might be here and today may be the day that they finally, finally realized They've never been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And if there's people like that, Lord Jesus, I pray that while my words can't save them, if they'll just sincerely cry out to you asking for forgiveness, asking for you to take away their sins and to come into their heart and their life as the Lord of their life personally, that you'll do that. That's why you came. That's why you died. That's why you rose again so that each and every one can have personal, individual salvation. And I pray if there's anybody in that category, they'll just do that. But whatever it is you'd have us to do, Lord, to serve more, to study more, God, I pray you'd make that conviction clear. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and stand.